Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Michael Gormley, and we are here with another Relic Reveal. Jay, how many we got so far? This is number 14 of 27. 14? 14 to 27. Oh, we're halfway there, living on a prayer. However, the 27th is not a saint. What? But still a relic. What? Yes. Jay, how many more we do until we take a break for Christmas? This one. This one. Here we go. This is the last one. Thank you, Jay. He's so timely. Now, today, we have a saint who I think is so important, especially for our church, because we have a wonderful society dedicated to this man, named after this man, St. Vincent de Paul. St. Vincent de Paul fascinating life. This guy, he has everything. He's he's a towering intellect, a deeply spiritual man, a chaplain to rich people, also a slave by a bunch of pirates. And How many of you have ever been kidnapped by sea pirates? Uh, St. Vincent de Paul, check. Right. So when we look at this man's life, you see that the Lord has done tons of things in and through him. And that even though these things that we might see as you know calamitous or negative, God worked them for the good. So let's start off. St. Vincent de Paul was born in France. Uh, he was the third boy in the family. He is so gifted, his parents are like, this kid needs to be a priest. So they sell the family ox. He goes off to seminary. Here's the controversy. You got to think, up until the 1500s, all of Europe was united under the Holy Roman Emperor, Catholic Church, all that stuff. Martin Luther fractured that, John Calvin. So the German-speaking countries, many of the northern European countries went Lutheran. Many of the French-speaking countries and areas uh, went Calvinist. And so France had this weird thing that arose, this heresy called Jansenism. And this is very important because St. Vincent de Paul was credited with dismantling or attacking the Jansenist heresy. He's a big guy in that world of converting the Jansenists. There he is going off to seminary. He crushes seminary. They ordain him at 19 years old, which could have happened to me, but they ordained him at 19 years old. He gets sent to a parish priest or sent to a parish to be a priest. But guess what? Council of Trent said you can't have anyone younger than 24 become a priest. So he's like, hey, 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 rather than people fight and argue, I'm just going to resign. He didn't want to bother anyone. He just kind of took the suffering and dealt with it. But the Lord had his own plans. It's very important because he then gets reinstated as a student at the University of Toulouse. And while he was going there and he was going to sell a piece of property that he inherited uh, in order to continue his studies, something crazy happened. Yes, sea pirates. He was kidnapped by sea pirates, sold to Tunisian uh, slavers, ends up becoming a slave, passing through multiple owners. He ended up landing at an estate run by a former Franciscan priest who converted to Islam so that he could escape his own slavery, right? So he converted forcibly and became, and then he ends up getting three wives. And here's the crazy story. While Vincent is a slave to this man, who's a former Catholic priest, one of the three wives would come out and meet him in the fields and he would teach her about Christianity. And then she would go back to her husband and shame him for being a weakling who converted out of fear. So eventually he lights this spark in this former Franciscan priest and they end up sneakily going back to France. Now, why does this matter? Afterwards, he goes into the University of Toulouse. He ends up doing advanced studies. This guy is acknowledged as a young uh, and tremendous intellect who has suffered greatly for the faith. Then 
then the cardinal in his local diocese assigns him to be the chaplain of a very rich, wealthy family, the Gandhi family. And he is their personal chaplain, and he's doing all sorts of ministry to them on their estate and to their servants. And one day he hears the deathbed confession of one of the peasants. The peasant would say to Madame Gandhi before he died, if it weren't for the ministry of this priest, I my soul would have been lost. Vincent, this affected him deeply because he realized that for many people in France, the peasants did not have access to the resources of the Catholic Church that so many other people did. And so the idea was planted deep in his heart that there is so little ministry available and actually ordered to the poor who are working six, seven days a week, who are not the leisurely class, who can't always make it to mass, who can't always do this and do that. Many of them are being lost because no one's reaching out to them. So he begins after finishing all of his extra education, he begins to build the Daughters of Charity, now known as the Daughters of Charity of St. Vincent de Paul. He ends up building a society of priests to do missionary work abroad, um, now known as the Vincentians. Um, and a, bar, a big part of what they were doing was not just service to the poor, but also education. Because you got to remember at this time, seminaries were just kind of coming into being. Most priests were trained through basically by being disciples of the bishop, if the bishop cared to actually do that. And there was a lot of abuse in France because the French clergy were not trained. They weren't considered peasants. They weren't considered aristocrats, but they kind of were like the arist uh, second group of aristocracy. But St. Vincent de Paul began marshalling these people together in order to have a standard and really well-formed curriculum of uh, for the priests. Now, here's something that you may not know, and this is kind of like my catechetical turn here, is St. Vincent de Paul was one man who moved a lot. He was a catalyst for a lot of other people's faith. And when they stopped hesitating in their service of the Lord, amazing ripple effects began happening throughout France, throughout Europe, throughout all of Christianity, throughout the world. St. Vincent de Paul didn't just found an order of missionaries and a charitable society. What he did was give a lasting gift to the church, which is the idea that sanctity and the priesthood belong together. And we don't need to accept compromises when it comes to pursuing a vocation to the priesthood. What do I mean by that? Well, one of the seminaries that he would form would end up, uh, these were people who were sleeping in tents outside because there was no physical buildings other than the, the classrooms, ended up producing like 30 or 40 saints. In fact, there's a wonderful book called Becoming a Parish of Missionary Disciples by Sherry Waddell. And the first book is called A Generation of Saints. His influence inaugurated a whole series of people who are canonized in the Catholic Church at, that came right on the, his heels of leaving, but kind of in that time period. And so this is what I want to say. I want to bring it back and put out, point out two very specific things in St. Vincent de Paul's life that needs to be our own. One, an ardent, a zealous love of Christian prayer. And, and this also involves study. I think Christian prayer and study, they're both being informed, right? It's, it's part of our formation. But studying scripture, praying scripture, studying spirituality, studying things like the mystical life and the mystical prayer and what it is in the Catholic tradition to have a heightened form of contemplation, understanding meditated prayer in the Catholic Christian tradition. These are things that grounded St. Vincent de Paul. And the other thing is a radical love of the poor. 
What do I mean by a radical love of the poor? He organized a group of wealthy women, right, who in France, it's not like they could go out and get jobs, right, but they did not want to be idle. So they had strong prayer lives. And from that strong prayer lives, they said, how can we make Christ known and loved? And so he started this charitable work, the Daughters of Charity, and pointed them towards the poor in their midst. Brothers and sisters, if you want to love Christ, you got to pray. You got to have a strong prayer life. You have to have a liturgical life as well as personal, private devotions. It has to ooze out of your pores. You have to have contemplative prayer. You have to meditate. If you don't know how to do mental prayer, right, you are losing the battle in growing in holiness. You can't just rely on fixed, memorized prayers. It has to go deeper, right? So that's one aspect of St. Vincent de Paul's life that needs to be our own. And just like those women, we too need to have an ardent love for the poor. This notion, right, that like, for instance, St. Paul in Galatians, he was sitting there, he had all these divine revelations directly to him about Christianity. And he goes and he lays them at the feet of the apostle Peter. And what does Peter say? Yes, he gives him the right hand of fellowship and he says, but do one thing, don't forget the poor in your preaching. Like think about the radical centrality of service to the poor that flows from our faith in Christ. The more devoted you are to Jesus, the more devoted you are to serving him in the poor. Let's remember that St. Vincent de Paul said something very powerful. He said, or his realization was, if I had not been here, this peasant, his soul would have been lost. The peasant ended up saying basically that same uh, remark to, uh, to the madam that ran the estate. And so this got him to think, wow, if I don't do it, if I don't say yes, if I don't become the hands and feet of Christ right here and right now, people's souls might be lost. I need to be animated with that same desire, that zeal for souls. That says, if I don't donate you know, to the church, to the food pantry, to St. Vincent de Paul, if I don't do this, then the money is not going to be there. The food is not going to be there. The clothing is not going to be there. I can make a gift of myself. Pope John Paul once said this amazing quote, No man is so rich that he has nothing to receive, nor so poor that he has nothing to give. The idea at the heart of Christianity is we serve Christ in our neighbor, in our enemy, and in the poor. What if we were someone's enemy? What if we were someone's neighbor? Wouldn't we want someone to do that for us? Well, then go and be neighbor. Go and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so through this, we have the wonderful group of the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Do you know about these people? Talking about our march to Our Lady of the Angels. What about our march into the hearts of the poor, the working poor all around us here in the woodlands? Sometimes we don't see them with the manicured lawns and the beautiful trees. That's why I moved to this area, because I love this stuff. I love the woodlands. But not all that glitters is gold, right? Sometimes we can get distracted by the good things of this earth that we forget that, that we are just stewards and not owners. From the divine perspective, we are stewards of the good gifts. And so to have a heart filled with charity, I have seen so many tremendous acts of charity. But when this time of COVID, when we can't be in the church, that little black bag that gets passed around isn't getting passed around. So I need y'all, listen, our St. Vincent de Paul ministry follows in the footsteps of the OG St. Vincent de Paul. We do direct ministry to those who are the neediest in our community. So I would encourage you, kind of filling this thing, personal prayer, service to the poor. Look at the St. Vincent de Paul Society as one of those primary avenues of giving, right? Primary avenues of getting. We have a wonderful group of volunteers who continue the charitable works of St. Vincent de Paul. 
and those societies that he organized years ago. Being collaborators in the gospel, this is how we advance the kingdom. So tune in in three weeks when we rally back together on our pilgrimage through these relic reveals to the Our Lady of the Angels Chapel. And I want to say to everyone, I know we're not going to see each other again in this way, so Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. And happy fourth penitential Sunday of Advent to you as well. God bless. I don't know why I went with the coffee. That was a weird outro. I don't know why I did that. I'll do it again. Thank you.